Welcome to The Trail Less Traveled, an adventure series dedicated to taking you back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment, storytelling. Missoula, Montana is a mecca for outdoor enthusiasts, and each week we will bring you tales of outdoor adventures both near and far, as well as adventure information and inspiration and a few tunes to set the mood. You can read more about the show online at traillesstraveled.net. And now here's your host, Grand Canyon Whitewater Guide, yoga instructor, and master of the didgeridoo, Mandela. It's before sunrise on the boat named the Southern Legend, and we're cruising out towards the mouth of the Milford Sound, right where the Tasman Sea and the Milford Sound meet. I'm in the helm, standing next to the skipper, Shane Nine. Shane is originally from Wanaka, and he's been a cray fisherman for the past 10 years. He fishes from Hammerhead on the west coast to Denuggets on the east coast. First of all, thank you so much, Shane, for waking up this morning and inviting me to join you guys on the water for the day to do some cray fishing. Uh, you're welcome. Shane, can you tell us a little bit about what's going on, where we're we heading to? Uh, we're heading out Milford Sound into the Tasman, and then we're going to lift some cray pots. Tell us about the boat, the Southern Legend. The Southern Legend's an Australian-built boat. We built it back in September 03, launched in Fremantle, and we've had it in New Zealand catching crayfish ever since. Tell us about a typical morning. What do you see around you when you look out the window? What's that boat's name? What's this waterfall that we're coming up upon? Tell us about where we are and where we're heading to. Well, the boat on the right, that's the uh, Mariner. That's an overnight boat in, in Milford Sound. And we're coming up on Stirling Falls. And in front of Stirling Falls, that's the Wanderer, which is another overnight boat for real, real journeys. Normally, we're a bit earlier than this, so we don't see them. Pretty typical morning. So what's a typical morning? What time do you guys usually wake up to head out to the Tasman Sea to do your cray fishing? We normally leave about five. We try to get to our first pot just on daybreak, or sometimes we'll get there a bit early and just work under the lights. And when you say your first pot, what do you mean by that? What's a pot? It's a crayfish pot. It's a steel trap. Normally got two necks and two baits in it, and that's what we use for catching crayfish. Tell us about the crayfish in New Zealand and what makes them so unique. Crayfish is a New Zealand rock lobster. The difference is they have a fighting claw instead of a nipper, and apparently the Chinese prefer that because the nipper on a lobster symbolises the severing of a relationship. So pretty much everything that's good quality gets exported to China. Yeah, that's what we do. Can you tell us, Shane, a little bit about this place that we're traveling through right now, the Milford Sound? Can you describe it to the listeners and tell us a little bit about a history of it? Well, you've been here a wee while. You probably know more about it than me. Well, it's a fjord. It's not actually a sound. Sorry, just got to adjust the course. Uh, it's just a big old ditch we drive through every morning and go to work. Right here we've got Possum, who's another cray fisherman on board. Possum, can you tell us about where we're heading right now and what we're going to go do? Ah, uh, we're heading out to sea and we're going to work and try and earn some money. But at the moment we're not making a lot because the price is not good. We're working at zero at the moment because the price we're getting for what we're doing is zip. So yeah, we'll pull some pots and we'll uh, come home and drink again. Possum, can you do your best to describe what you see? Heading out of a fjord that's got cliffs either side, steep. I don't know, we see it every day so we don't really respect it. It's very steep. It's beautiful. Some days, every day is different. If you come here as a tourist, you would have to see it on 
two different weather patterns, a beautiful day and a day because some days the whole side of it's full of water and some days it's not. It's a beautiful place. Can you tell us about the body of water that we're heading towards and some of the weather conditions that it can show? The Tasman Sea between Australia and New Zealand and then some days are perfect like a lake and then some days are diamond, some days are stone. It can be 10 metre swells but we don't really fish in the swell. If you put your pots into shallow and the swell comes up you will get nothing so the only time we're in the waves inside the beach is when you've put them in there and you have to get them out. It does get rough though. Some days we will turn and run with it rather than punch home. So we'll go to a different port, fish from here to Jackson's Bay. Ah, just deal with it. Possum, what part of New Zealand are we in? Fiordland. Fiordland National Park. The South Island of New Zealand is the best part of New Zealand. Don't bother going to the North Island. <laughs> it's definitely the best part of New Zealand. If you want to go to the North Island, you've got cities and that's about it. Tell us about Fjordland. We're on the most northern fjord in Fjordland, and there's 14 fjords here. Uh, yeah, there is. I've only had the chance to go down there a couple of times. Once we go north of here, the landscape definitely changes. It flattens off a bit more and becomes, oh, you'll see it today. Oh, I grew up in Jackson Bay, which is three and a half hours from here, 20 knots. And then the road cuts inland and comes back around to here. It's the only road into the fjord, and the rest is around the outside. So this is the only road in. I think it's one of the biggest national parks in the world. Yeah, it's pretty well looked after and yeah, it's pretty special really. And I think that might be your mate Danny that you were out with the other day. Danny would have been out doing an exchange, there'd be another big cruise liner coming in. And I hope Danny's got a sore head like I do, because he got on the piss on this boat last night. <laughs> yeah, there he is. He'll be heading back in. Opossum, what does that boat do? It's the Payrata, it just takes the pilot out to bring the bigger cruise ships in because a week ago one of the idiots hit the bottom so they put a special pilot on it to get it through the harder passage but if you use the equipment that you've got you'll get in there fine enough. Possum, I want to learn about all the equipment in the helm and then later on the equipment that you guys are using for fishing. Right now we're standing here, the sun is slowly starting to rise. It looks like there's a crackling fire that's heating up your oven to make tea. Tell us about your kitchen. Yeah, we have a diesel fire and we eat lots of vegetables. We eat well. We're pretty well looked after. We just turn up to work and do our thing. I've got one more sleep and I'm going home to see my family for the first time in a month. I'm going home and see the kids and my lovely wife, who I love very much. Yeah, everyone's probably getting a wee bit sick of each other now after a month of hard work. But at the end of the day, we have to finish the quota by the 1st of April, so we've got, well, I don't know, two weeks left to catch another eight tonne. And then we get to go home and have a break before we start again. So, yeah, everyone's probably a wee bit jaded. We'll get there. I think it's one of the biggest catches in New Zealand. Same at the kayak house, you know. Folks have been living with each other and guiding for months and months. So, yeah, that's how it is. But in a few seconds, we're going to see the Tasman Sea for the first time. Tell us about the lunch today. You're talking about what you're going to cook up for lunch? Uh, we're running out of food, actually. I've found some bread in the freezer. Our stores are running out now. But we have plenty of beer. We'll survive. And we're allowed an amateur catch of crayfish every day. So you have to eat. We'll just eat fish. But we don't eat it that often, to tell you the truth, more when people come out. 
Go away to fade and yeah, be good. Yep. All right, I've stepped back over to Shane, who's the skipper right now. And Shane, tell us about this massive boat that you're passing, and then I'd like to know about the equipment that you're using for navigation. Well, that's a cruise ship, uh, Radiance to the Seas. We get quite a few in here over the summer, up to two a day. Tell us about this navigation equipment. We've got radar in Milford Sounds really good because it's cliffs, so it tells you exactly where you are. We've also got two GPSs and also a sounder as well that tells you how deep it is. I see that there's a ship's wheel, but it seems like in order to change your course, you're actually using a different, more technological device for that? When we're steaming, we use the autopilot, and then we can push it 10 degrees port or 10 degrees starboard, or 1 degrees port, 1 degrees starboard, so we don't use the wheel. Shane, you grew up in Wanaka, New Zealand. Can you tell us about your childhood? Where did you grow up, and how was adventure a part of your childhood? Well, I grew up on a farm. We had everything every young farmer does. We had horses and motorbikes and helicopters and, you know, living the dream, really. Mostly sheep and beef. We do a lot of dairy and grazing as well. We've still got the farms. Probably the best place in New Zealand to be, really. It's got everything. It's got lakes, it's got mountains, a lot of ski fields in the winter. In the summer, it's really hot. So water skiing and fishing and... When did you start cray fishing? It was about 10 years back. I was farming up until then, just chasing a few more dollars really. Fishing pays really well. Milford Sound, you can actually put your pots in there because it's a marine reserve, correct? Yes, but it's not a great area to fish anyway. Most of the crayfish are outside the sound. There's quite a few marine reserves down the west coast of New Zealand, which is good. It helps the fishery. It's an area where they can breed up and not be tampered with. Tell us about crayfish and how they react to freshwater. Oh, they don't love freshwater. Mostly, if you pull them through freshwater, they'll start dropping legs or they can puff up if there's too much fresh water or they grab each other and get puncture wounds and then the fish becomes rejected and it's not worth anything in China. What is your favourite area of New Zealand to explore? Probably Dusky Sound. It's down the southwestern corner of New Zealand. It's similar to Milford Sound but there's lots of islands and it's a place called Sportsman's Cove which you can drive a boat through a wee gap and then it opens up into a big area. Pusica Point which is pretty storm swept and also Stewart Island. Another nice area. I hear there are pretty big sharks down by Stewart Island. Uh, yes, it's home of the Great White. They're there half the year, and then when they migrate, they come up as far as Milford Sound or Jackson's Bay, and then they head west to Western Australia. What time of year do the Great White sharks migrate? I'm not 100% sure, but I think it's about November. Tell me about your shark experiences. Possum was telling me that the other day you guys saw a bunch of seven-gillers, and some pretty big ones, maybe as twice as long as me, right by where your boat docks. Yeah, they show up at certain times of the year. There's a couple of big ones there. Don't believe in fishermen, though. They'll be exaggerating. <laughs> All right, we're on board the Southern Legend, and we have entered the Tasman Sea. We're heading north. We are speaking with Shane, Possum, and Leon today. Three fishermen aboard the boat. It's towards the end of their season, and my day started at uh, about 3 a.m. Their day started around the same time. <laughs> Shane, it's now time to play a song. So I would like for you to choose a song that reminds you of crayfishing. We've been talking about this the last couple of days because we've got a wee heads up. I guess a bit of Slim Dusty, maybe. Bad days fishing better than a good day's work. Hey there, Mandela here. I'm currently guiding sea kayaking expeditions in Fiordland National Park, which is on New Zealand's South Island's 
remote and isolated western coast. While I'm living and exploring here in the rainforest, I find myself constantly wearing my new favorite skirt, which is handmade by a friend of mine in Missoula, Montana. Her name is Karen, and her handmade apparel is Karuna Clothing. My skirt is made from a blend of organic hemp and cotton. Karuna Clothing is handcrafted with natural fabrics, which soften as they age. And I feel like this skirt fits the moods of the landscapes of the glacier-shaped terrain in Fjordland, and hopefully wherever my adventures take me this year. Visit karunaclothing.com to find out more about this soft, organic, handmade attire. That's K-A-R-U-N-A clothing.com. Back to Mandela and the trail less traveled. We're sitting on board the Southern Legend and it's rocking, but the fishermen say that it's not that big of a swell today. I've been helping out with the crayfishing on the Southern Legend, just helping put some mackerel in the bait holder. What's the official name of the bait holder? Uh, snifter, bait snifter. So I suppose it's something to do so the crayfish can smell it maybe. I think they actually come out of the state somewhere. Yeah, hopefully it does its job tonight. That's possum. He's one of the cray fishermen aboard the Southern Legend. Possum, first of all, what did we do today? Uh, what did we do today? Come to sea, catch some crayfish. We pulled 180 odd pots, rebate them for tomorrow's catch. Hopefully we catch a ton of crayfish. We have probably seven ton to go to finish the season. And then we'll start again for next season. Yeah, just moving the pots around from rock to rock and Hopefully we can sell them for a good dollar. We're going to talk to Possum and the crew a little bit more about crayfishing in New Zealand, for we are on New Zealand's South Island's west coast in the Tasman Sea. We're heading back down towards the Milford Sound. And Possum, I'd like to ask you what your real name is. Oh, geez. Uh, Alan. (laughs) It's not used very often, only by the judge when I was in court and my mother when she found out I was in court. (laughs) <laughs> you get given a nickname on the west coast and they usually stick. How did you get the nickname Possum? Uh, I'd like to think I climbed a lot of trees, but I think I might have yelled all night and slept all day because a possum is nocturnal, so I think my mother might have done it. Possum, where did you grow up and how was adventure a part of your childhood? Grew up in Jackson Bay, just a very, very small place. No power, cold range, heat the hot water. Born in 74, my parents still only have a coal range to cook and heat their water they don't have electric hot water they have electricity now they just run the fire all the time it's quite a little town it's probably three hours drive to the nearest city yeah it was good growing up in the country went to high school in a greymouth which is probably three thousand people and yeah quite enjoyed it tell us about the area that you grew up a lot of rainforest big rain the west coast of New Zealand that gets the brunt of the weather and then there's a main mountain range right up the middle of New Zealand and we're just on a little the west coast is the thinner strip yeah it's just a small very very small town wouldn't even call it a town it's a fishing village it's the end of the road before you head down into Fiordland National Park 
so my father still lives there. We fish from Milford to Jackson Bay and sort of every second night we stay there and he does our washing and has a beer with us and cooks us tea sometimes and then we fish back to Milford the next day. Now, Possum, we're heading back towards the mouth of the Milford Sound and we're on the Tasman Sea right now and I'm looking out the port window and I'm seeing the west coast and you were telling me a little bit earlier about how isolated and wild this place is. Can you tell the listeners about this? It's very rugged. There are some walking tracks around here, but there's one fella, the bean sprout, lives halfway along this coast here. He's quite famous. He'd be three days walk out, I suppose. Mostly just helicopters and small planes. There's a couple of old bush airstrips from the early days when they did venison recovery. And a lot of old dock huts and things up rivers and when they used to hunt red deer for noxious pest control. Let's talk about the venison recovery. Back in the early days, venison got released here from Scotland for the hunters for their trophy heads and then they just become a noxious pest. They just took over and started eating the forest. So the government paid men to go into the bush and just shoot them to get the numbers down and they had to cut the tails off to prove how many they got for their trip and they just shot hundreds. And then in the late 60s, I believe, some Vietnam pilots and things came out here and there was a fella, Sir Tim Wallace, thought that he could maybe market the venison and send it to Europe. So they actually started collecting the meat and made a very lucrative industry out of it. And then in the 80s, so they were flying around in helicopters shooting them. And then my uncle and father were involved they thought they'd farm them, so they started shooting nets out of the helicopter and catching them live, the hinds, and I think they got up to about $3,000 a hind. Big money. There are some good videos on it, just New Zealand venison recovery in the helicopters. There's some quite good footage. A lot of men died. I think more men died in the venison recovery than the New Zealand guys did in Vietnam. Let's talk about some of the other invasive species here in New Zealand. For example, there's only two native mammals to New Zealand, the long-tail and the short-tail bat. All other mammals were introduced. And there's a couple other invasive species that are quite a problem in the area. Can you tell us about that? Uh, possums would be one of them. I think they just eat the native forest. Doc try and control it with poison, 1080, and rats and things, but a lot of people are anti-1080. They don't believe they should be dropping it. Possum skins can be worth quite a bit of money. You know, like your beaver, I suppose, in the early days with your fur coats and stuff. So why not make an industry out of it rather than just poison them? The government spends millions of dollars just flying around blanket poisoning valleys. A lot of people believe it kills the birds as well. There's just a, such a beautiful view out the port window of the Southern Legend, this crayfishing vessel that you work on every day. Can you tell us about this mountain that we can see? Oh, I think that's Totoko. You can actually get to it from the Milford Road. Yeah, I don't plan on climbing it. I don't think I'm that fit <laughs> these days. Uh, we're coming up to Big Bay, which is, we have a north and south reef which stick out of the two points here. And we do a lot of our crayfishing just here. It's been pretty good to us this year. Oh, I don't know, it's hard to describe the mountain range. The two plates come together. I think the Indian plate and the Pacific plate come together in New Zealand and just push it up. They believe we're well overdue for a massive earthquake and yeah, they predict it will be major. The whole west coast of the South Island moves north every year. 
and they think it could be up to a 20 metre shift or something when it finally happens. Yeah, that's actually something that we need to share with the guests when I take them out sea kayaking in the Milford Sound, that we're expecting a 9.0 earthquake, and if it were to happen, part of Mitre Peak might actually fall into the fjord. Yeah, hopefully I'm at sea, <laughs> rather than on the land. We have them quite regular, reasonable earthquakes, but we haven't had one for a while. Christchurch up the South Island, they've had some big ones lately, and loss of life and stuff, but it's just where we live, really. Don't have any volcanoes as such, which is good. Just more the earth moving. Yeah, Milford's very isolated. Was one of the eight wonders of the seven or eight wonders of the world, I believe. I don't know if it still is or that's yeah, pretty special. Let's take it for granted, I suppose. Yeah, we started our day pretty early, and traditionally you guys head out at around 4 a.m., coming back at around 4 p.m., and you work hard. I would just like for you to tell the listeners in detail what you're doing out there. And, you know, I watched you as I helped you pull out the crayfish holding pots and then sort them. But can you tell us about what you're doing? Yeah, the boss pulls up to the pots that we set the day before and grab the floats, whack it in the hauler, big hydraulic hauler, and winch them up. We can have pots that are five foot by five foot square and probably a foot and a half high. They can weigh up to 180 odd kilos empty and we rip it off the bottom of the ocean and land it on the side of the boat, open the door, hopefully tip a heap of craze out of it and rebait it and then we'll steam around and find another place for it for that night to reset it. Then we just move along our gear looking for more reef to catch craze. Some we've got 180 in the water. Sometimes we'll pick the whole lot up. It might take us a couple of days to move to another area. It's quite a large day, a couple of times we've worked for two days straight. It's an enjoyable job. I've done it in West Australia. I just grew up fishing, went over there and done it there for a while. I think this boat is the biggest catcher in New Zealand. Roughly 80 tonnes this year we'll catch. And I think the next biggest catch is 55 tonne of crayfish. So yeah, it's quite demanding. And the license to catch a ton of quota is worth 1.5 million. Yeah, there's quite a bit of money invested in it. Possum, can you tell me about the sorting that I saw you do? You're sorting the males and the females. You're sorting them by how much they weighed. What were you doing with your little tool? We have a measuring stick. There's two different measurements for male and female because they have a different shaped body, just like in life. (laughs) So they have a different measurement. So we measure them. We have to look under the tail because if they're pink we throw them back because it means they're going to go into a molt and they'll change their shell so we can't sell them and they probably won't make it to market alive. Make sure he's got all his legs on so he's a good looking crayfish and if we send it to market we can get up to $160 a kilo for it but if he loses his legs on the way or he has a broken shell or something you will only get $25 a kilo. So we really have to make sure we're sending a top quality product. And if you don't own your own quota and you lease quota in, pay about $65 a kilo. So if you only make $25 a kilo, it's going to cost you money to land that crayfish. And that's not a happy day on the boat. Possum, one thing that I found interesting when watching you sort the crayfish was that the larger ones, the ones that were very impressive, they were actually getting thrown back. Once you go over a two kilo limit, you will only get... $25 a kilo for it so they're just not worth any money. They're usually big males, hopefully they're like the bull in the paddock and they go back and do their job and look after our future. We don't have to throw them back but yeah they're not worth a great deal. 
There are some uh, little catches in the wharf at Jackson's Bay and they've been catching what's called a perilous, which is a very, very young crayfish. Transparent, about half an inch long and over the years the catches in those have been increasing very rapidly so they're predicting quite good future. Crayfish quotas came in here probably 20 years ago and since then the cray stocks have just increased so it has worked very well for the industry. Why were you sorting the males and the females? We don't always do that but at the moment the females are going to go into a molt so we're not really liking those at the moment so the males won't do that for a while so we'll just catch males at the moment. Some of them will molt, you'll always get the odd random one you've got to keep a lookout for. He's a crustacean but when he goes into a molt you'll pick him up and he's just like a, a jello, a set jello and he's just all rubber and then he'll eat shellfish and stuff and he'll slowly harden over time. Sometimes we'll catch nothing, there'll be one crayfish in the pot and then the next day when they decide to come out you'll catch a hundred. It's just if they don't want a pot they won't pot. They're not stupid otherwise there'd be none left. You're listening to The Trail Less Traveled, the community's source for adventure information and inspiration. And today the trail leads to the Tasman Sea. We're currently on the Tasman Sea in a vessel called the Southern Legend. It's a massive crayfishing boat. Coming back after a hard day's work, I helped these guys out a little bit by helping with the bait sniffers. I just got one more question about the crayfish and then I'd like to talk to you about some of the other species that we saw today. You talked about this a little bit earlier, Possum, but what makes the crayfish in New Zealand special and different than crayfish around the world? I believe the markets always chase a cold water fish that's meant to be tastier, and I think that's why the king crab's up in Alaska and that, because it's getting pulled out of a colder water. When we fished in West Australia, up north of Perth, their crayfish was generally worth probably $20 a kilo less than ours in New Zealand. He looks very similar to a lobster, but he doesn't have pinches. He just has, like, legs and one big thumb, which he uses to crush up food and reef. And he's quite strong. When they bend that thumb around, it's gone right through a man's thumbnail. Oh. And, uh, yeah, it rather hurts when they get a hold of you. So you got to be quite quick. Yeah, especially the big fella. Possum, there were some other critters that came out of the holding pots today. Some of them were thrown back immediately and others were kept. So can you tell us about some of the species? Let's go ahead and start with those eels. You guys asked me to help you toss the eels back into the water. They're a bit slippery and they're also kind of scary because Shane, the skipper, told me that his friend's finger got taken off by an eel. Ah, uh, he's just a big conger eel. I don't know, he could be six foot long maybe. I don't know what he'd weigh. May get up to 20 kilos. I don't know. Not quite, maybe 15 kilos. He's quite a big eel. Yeah, we just send them back down. All right, we're sitting on the back of the deck now because I got kind of seasick and I almost threw up over the edge, but I wasn't successful. So uh, I'm going to sit next to the edge, just in case during this interview I need to throw up over the side of the boat. So we were talking about the eels. Go ahead and uh, continue. Ah, uh, yeah, that was about that. I have great sympathy for Mandela because growing up as a child, my father was a fisherman and he would make me go to sea with him. It would take me six months to get over it because I would be sick 12 times a day and I wouldn't go back to sea for another six months. 
and then one day my neighbour came across because his crew hadn't turned up and he said he needed a hand and I was dreading the day and when I got to sea and started working I just never thought about it and I never got sick since. So I think a lot of it's in your brain. Yeah. My mother would get sick walking down to get on the boat. <laughs> just petrified. Yeah, so, but no, we caught a few different things today. Some days you get more bycatch, but crayfishing you don't tend to get a lot of different stuff. You pretty much target one species. We get the odd blue cod, but yeah, we let them go. If we ever want to feed, we put a line over the side and catch them by line. Yeah, it's a nice reef fish, good to eat. Possum, I'd like to ask you now about those carpet sharks with the golden eyes. Sometimes more when we're fishing the edges, we'll catch little carpet sharks. They're no good for eating or anything, so they just get let go. Every now and again, you might get a grey boy or something, but quite rare. Haven't seen too many massive sharks. There was some around the boat in Milford the other night, seven gillers, maybe two metres long. And that's where everyone swims. But in West Australia, where I fished, we'd see 30 a day following us around. And then you'd go out swimming in the afternoon and no one disappeared. So... They must leave you alone. You did mention to me earlier that the seven gill was responsible for the most shark attacks in New Zealand, but none of those are fatal. Yeah, I believe seven gillers are the most common to bite people. They're probably the most common shark, so it's just how it is, yeah. We do have some great whites go through here at times. I think they migrate up the coast to about Jackson's Bay and then they head off. They've tagged them and I, I think they go to Fiji or somewhere and then make their way back. They do the same thing every year. So they go down around Stewart Island and eat the seals and stuff and then head off to Fiji. Wish I could some days. What about that really interesting eel that was covered in slime that we caught? Your entire crayfish pot was just covered in this slime. Uh, we call them a snot eel, but I think they're actually called a hagfish or something. They excrete like a clear liquid jelly goo when they're stressed out. I think I watched David Attenborough's Ocean Blue or something and they sunk a whale off the coast of LA there somewhere and time-lapsed the snot eels eating it and it was quite incredible, there was millions of them on it. Line fishermen set their lines overnight, if you don't for some reason get back to it or something they will just eat your fish from the inside out. So we're sitting right in the back of the boat right now and I would love for you to just kind of tell us what you see in every direction and these containers that are holding your crayfish that are probably going to be live exported to China. Baskets hold about 20 kilos in each one. So we've got two tanks on the back deck. We're swimming at the moment, pumping seawater through them. We've got half a ton down there and there's half a ton up in the front tank as well. We can carry about 1.6 ton when we're full. Sometimes when we get massive rain, I think Milford can have a rainfall of something like 16 metres or something for the year. So if we get a patch of rain and it's, the fresh water sits on top of the ocean, we can't swim the fish for days and then we struggle to pull our pots through the fresh water because when we do, the crayfish just kick their legs off. So sometimes the weather can be a real pain in the wazoo. But yeah, looking towards New Zealand, we're just passing Big Bay. You can see up there those hills are a bit different. They call them the red hills. At night time they glow. It's quite cool. Yeah, we have bush clad and then you get up to the tussock line where nothing grows above maybe 6,000 feet or something. The other morning we steamed up here in the dark and we went through a patch of phosphorus. It's in the ocean, I don't know. It's like a little critter and he just glows at night time. It was quite cool. You'd see it in the spray coming off the side of the boat. Every day is different. What about to your left? 
If you kept going in this boat for three days, where would you go to? You'd end up down about Tasmania, under Australia. This boat was actually built in Fremantle, Perth, West Australia, and it was sailed all the way around here and across the Tasman, back to here. It's probably 11 years old. I think it cost a million dollars then. It does 21 knots flat out. It's got a V12 MTU, I think. So it gets along quite fast, which is handy. Yeah, we cover quite a big distance of ground. It's quite an advantage, but sucks up a lot of fuel. Not a lot to see out that side. <laughs> some days it's rough and some days it's flat. It's the same sea, it just changes its appearance. Awesome possum. You guys see some other creatures out here. For example, killer whales and humpback whales. Can you tell us about some of the other creatures you see out here when you're fishing? Yeah, we see the orcas, seals, penguins. We see a lot of penguins, tuna jumping sometimes, a lot of dolphins. Sometimes you'll see a pod of maybe three, four hundred dolphins coming at you. There's a few different breeds, a lot of bird life, the albatross and stuff. On a real flat day, you don't see the bigger birds because they struggle to fly. They like the real windy conditions and the big swell. They just seem to surf along using the ground effect and their wingtips are just skimming the water. They're quite impressive to watch, really. I'm glad you mentioned the albatross because it's my favorite bird. Tell us a little bit about why they're following you. you, you in the beginning of the day, you said they, they follow you. And it might be obvious to some people, but for those listening who don't understand why that bird might follow your ship. Yeah, so when we pull the cray pot, we tip yesterday's bait out. Usually that's sort of half eaten. So we just throw it out and they get a good feed. And that's why sometimes you'll turn around, you might see a shark following you as well. So they just sort of follow along. It always used to be a bit scary in Australia when you had a stuck pot because you had to get over the side. But I never had a go at you, so yeah, I'm still here. <laughs> awesome. We're speaking with Possum, and he is a cray fisherman aboard the Southern Legend in New Zealand on New Zealand's west coast of the South Island in the Tasman Sea. He works hard, he works every day, and pretty soon here he's gonna be able to go see his family. Possum, now it's time to play a song. You've worked in crayfishing for a long time and you've worked in the West Australia as well. What's a song that reminds you of crayfishing? I like the Waterboys song, I think it's called The Fisherman's Blues, and it's just got a line in there at the start, something about being out on the ocean away from all your trouble on land. You can get away from it and forget about it for a while. We're sitting on the back of the Southern Legend, which is a crayfishing boat on New Zealand's South Island's west coast. And right now we are at sea. We're probably going, how many knots would you say we're going, Possum? Uh, 20 knots. 20 knots, yeah, times that by 1.8 for Ks. And this is definitely one of the most amazing places I've ever recorded. We're sitting outside because if we sit in the cabin, your host Mandela might vomit during the interview, to be completely honest with you. So we're out here so that I can be right close to the edge if I get seasick. Today we were emptying crayfish holding pots and the Southern Legend, it does m the most crayfishing in New Zealand, is that correct? Yeah, I believe 80 tonne is the biggest catch for New Zealand. Next is 55. Some people make a living off just three tonne. It has a massive turnover. 
when the price can range from $160 a kilo, but at, at certain times of the year it can drop down to about 70 We hope to average maybe $100 a kilo for the season. Yeah, Shane's father, Dennis, owns the boat. He's got a couple of farms as a hobby. We're just out here trying to pay the tax, man. Possum and I are both sitting here wearing our gumboots, and we're getting sprayed by salt water from either side, but uh, it feels good. Most certainly feels a lot better than being inside the uh, cabin. Possum, you've traveled a lot of the world. You're a cray fisherman, but you've also traveled all over the United States. Tell us about some of your travels over there and what you saw and what you thought. Growing up as a child many, many moons ago, we were in Jackson Bay and two American ladies came down in their camper van. I believe they were retired colonels in the army and they didn't have enough petrol to get back to town so my father sold them $20 worth of petrol because he was a poor fisherman. We gave them a feed of crayfish and the next year they shouted me and my sister a trip to America and the biggest city I'd been in was 3,000 people. I'd been there twice and we went up to Niagara and we drove right down the east coast into Florida right across the bottom down into Mexico for two and a half months. I've never forgotten it. If I can help a traveller out when they come to Milford. Yesterday we took a German fella out for a ride just to give him an experience. It's always good to pay it forward. My lovely wife is from St. Louis. Go the Cardinals. Sorry you Missoulas or you uh, Grizzly Bear people and Osprey people, but that's where my heart has to lie. Yeah, her family's there. Grew up crayfishing, went to West Australia, crayfished, and then sort of decided to come home and start a family and did a building apprenticeship, adult apprenticeship, so I was building for 10 years. And then Shane got me out of retirement to come back and help him on the cray boat. So sometimes if Shane wants to have time at home as well because he's just had a child, then I might run the boat with another crew as well. So I do a little bit of driving, but most of the time I just work the deck. Pretty lucky that my wife lets me out here because I'm away from home quite a lot, but I thought if I didn't do it now, I'd probably never do it again. Getting a bit long in the tooth. What's it like being out at sea and then going back to land? Is there such thing as having sea legs? Yeah, if you have a week off or something, your legs will definitely be wobbly when you get back. And every boat's different. If you go from one boat to another, your brain seems to be trained into one motion. can throw you off for a few days. You get a lot of time to think out here. You think up some strange ideas especially trying to think how to make more money <laughs> and what you'd rather be doing some days. But Tom Petty sings a song, I don't know what it is, but some days a diamond, some days a stone. And it's true. Some days you make money and some days it costs you. Think about the family a lot. The main reason really, just make some money and try and get ahead. Possum, I'd like to now ask you about a lesson that you learned, where you had an experience, where you learned a lesson from that experience a lesson that you can share with a listener and maybe can they can also learn from your experiences. Had a helicopter crash. Make sure the pilot hooks the pedals up properly before you take off. <laughs> That's a good lesson. I have two children, so I went to get, what do you call it? I didn't want any more children, if you get it, know what I'm putting down. And when I went in there, they said I had cancer, so I lost my knackers four years ago. So I was very lucky and I'm very happy that I've got my two kids. So. If you're a man and you don't want to go and do your medical, don't be afraid. Thank you. Awesome. You were talking to me about the coastline and this gentleman, who, his name is Bean Sprout, who lives in the bush here. But while you were talking about that, you talked about a place that you called Helicopter Crash Creek. And I thought maybe it was just, it had that name from another helicopter crash, but you were in fact in that helicopter. 
So could you tell us that whole story? Yeah, hopefully the insurance man isn't listening in 103.3. <laughs> My friend's father was going for a training flight and the pilot put him in the real seat to get the hang of flying in the main controls. And he hopped in with the dual controls. We were chasing deer around the hills and stuff. And then when we come into land, we got a bit wobbly, so the main pilot instructor decided to take control. And at that moment, he found out he didn't have any pedals. So we sort of flew up into the air and crashed down, and it destroyed itself. Not too much damage to human, but um, yeah, we walked down and spent the night with the bean eater. We were going hunting, so they were just dropping us off. We were going to go camping for the week. Just yeah, pretty lucky, really. It didn't happen half an hour earlier when we were flying around the cliffs. You're listening to The Trail Less Travelled, and The Trail Less Travelled today is being recorded on the Tasman Sea in a boat called the Southern Legend. It's a crayfishing vessel, and today we did some crayfishing, and I helped the guys out with the bait. I don't know how many kilometres we are offshore right now. How, how many kilometres are you say we are? Maybe two or three. We'll be cutting back down the coast. We'll go past Whale Rock and then the brig and then we'll turn into Anita Bay and we'll store all these fish in holding pots for the night and I believe we have to pick some up that we caught yesterday and we'll put those on the boat and we'll take those into Milford where the fish factory will take them and grade them and market them for us. Yeah, so just cruising down the coast home to get ready for tomorrow. Is there anything that you yourself as a cray fisherman have learned from the creature that is the crayfish on how they live their life? Jesus, Jesus. You'll never work them out. When you think you've got them worked out, you'll have a bad day and you'll catch bugger all. <laughs> it's just, if they don't want to go in your pot, they won't. You can't make them. At certain times of the year, they just seem to disappear. But this year is looking pretty good, so hopefully we'll get finished and start next year. Yeah, they're quite a cunning little bugger. Yeah. Awesome. How do you handle fear? More just try to ignore it, really, because it doesn't help the situation. I liken it to someone who throws their toys or something, they lose the plot. If they break something, they haven't fixed the problem and they've still got to go back and do what they set out to do anyway, so I'd rather just do the job. And I find fear the same had the odd occasion we've hit the odd rock and other boats have had the wheelhouse bent over on it and things like that but at the time you're just trying to keep everyone going and panicking won't help the situation i seem to just turn off from it possum thank you so much for your time and your energy and for inviting me to join you on the southern legend today uh, it was a pleasure having miss missoula out with us <laughs> and uh oh, i hope you enjoyed it it's an experience not everyone gets to do it it's quite rare if you ever in Milford, wander down the Fisherman's Wharf and look for the boat. And that boat is called the Southern Legend. It's a crayfishing boat here in the Milford Sound. Right now we're heading back home. We're going to pick up some pots from yesterday and then store some of the other crayfish from today. How long is this boat? This boat's 54 foot and it's 5 metres wide, so probably 15, 16 foot wide. We don't use feet and inches here too often. But yeah, aluminium scoots along it's very handy for what we do it's just a work boat it's got a small kitchen and a living quarters quite comfortable though but it's mainly just deck and freezer and chiller just purely for crayfishing
I'm sitting in the back of the boat. We've got sea spray on either side of us. To my right, I can see New Zealand's wild west coast. To my left is where Australia lies. There's a smell of fish in the air, and uh, this has been an awesome, awesome interview. Possum, I'd like to end this show with three bits of advice that you can share with the listener. Love your mother. <laughs> Children are like a garden. If you throw the seeds in and leave it, you'll get weeds, so you've got to tend to them. And have a beer or two and enjoy life. Uh, yeah, another song. Well, you're a long way over there, and uh, when we have the Olympic Games, we don't get as many gold medals as you buggers, so we don't get to hear our anthem very often, so here's a little bit of Kiwi for you, and we'll have the New Zealand National Anthem. Kia ora, Mandela here, your host of The Trail Less Travelled. Tonight's episode was recorded aboard the Southern Legend, a crayfishing boat based in the Milford Sound and fishing daily in the Tasman Sea off New Zealand's South Island's most isolated west coast. Subscribe to the Trail Less Traveled podcast on iTunes. I would like to thank my guest for this evening, Possum, as well as Shane, the skipper aboard the Southern Legend. Possum grew up in the tiny fishing village called Jackson Bay on the west coast of New Zealand's South Island. Possum is a second generation fisherman who has fished almost his entire life off the coast of New Zealand as well as Western Australia. Possum is an amazing person who works hard and has traveled much of the United States. Check out traillesstraveled.net to view pictures, podcast previous shows and contact me. My name is Mandela, your host of the Trail Less Traveled, and my goal for this show is to document humanity by collecting sound effects and interviews from the most remote locations around the planet. To take you back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment, storytelling. To provide information and inspiration for your next quest, wherever it is around this planet. My adventure tip this week is to travel with ginger on the open seas. While recording this show, it was my first experience with getting seasick, and a ginger tablet or some crystallized ginger can really help settle your stomach. Well, that's it for this week's adventure, my friends in Missoula and around the world. But until next week's adventure, please get outside and shred the gnar, because as you know, The gnar simply does not shred itself.